So we are in the book of John, and at this time, we are sitting around the Last Supper table with Jesus with an eye on the horizon to the events of Holy Week. So last week, we looked at Jesus' claim that he is the true vine and that all who remain in him will bear good fruit. Now, if we turn back in our Bibles to John chapter 13, we see Jesus washing his disciples' feet. And when he's finished washing his disciples' feet, Jesus says, Do you understand what I have done for you? You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who has sent him. And now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Jesus provides for his disciples a beautiful picture of serving those who are below you. And then he tells his disciples to go and do likewise. Now this is countercultural now, and it was countercultural then. Because we tend to set our status with our relationships. Who we are friends with, who we are seen eating with, uh, who we decide to have romantic relationships with, these are all part of our setting our status and setting the order of society almost organically. The reality is it is uncommonly gracious in our society to embrace, much less serve someone, whose status is below our own. So Jesus acknowledges this, this hierarchical reality with his disciples. That he is the master, they are the servants. But then he flips that whole paradigm on its head as he washes their feet. As he serves them. And then he goes and tells them to do likewise. But I think we need to pay attention to this and notice the way that the language changes in chapter 15. In verse 9 we read, this is Jesus speaking, As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. Love for God and obedience to God's commands are the exact same thing. What it looks like to love God is to be obedient to God's instruction. Uh, did any of you guys see the Justin Bieber video that came out this week? No one? Yes, that one. It was like a 40-minute interview on Apple TV. Fascinating stuff. 
and you guys are looking at me with incredulous eyes, and I don't appreciate it. <laughs> I, I, I promise you, go find it. It is worth your time. I even found a, a edited version on YouTube that is only like specifically, it's like five minutes long, just him talking about what he's come to know to be true about Jesus. It is worth your time. Stop whispering. Because here's a guy who has lived that child celebrity roller coaster that we all know too well because we live in a society that fetishizes child stars becoming crazy people. So we've seen him, you know, rise up and become a pop star uh, before he gets his driver's license. And we've seen, you know, the drug issues and, and acting a fool. But then this week, seeing him talk about his own recognition that he can't earn God's love by doing good things or even by avoiding sin, but that God has already chosen to love him just the way that he is and that following Jesus is about turning away from sin and choosing obedience, I'm watching this and I'm like, wow, Justin Bieber's a prophet. I never thought I would say those words. In a world where, where increasingly we see religious leaders selling their souls to be close to political power, God is raising up the Justin Biebers and the Kanye West and the Shia LaBeoufs of the world to be the prophetic voice to call us back to obedience. Which boggles my mind. God is doing something interesting, and I don't know if I like it, but it's happening, and we should pay attention. Picking back up in, in verse 12, Jesus says, My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. For greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends, and if you do what I command, I no longer call you servants. Because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends for everything that I have learned from my father, I have made known to you. I have called you friends for everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. I think we may be too familiar with this verse. And that our familiarity has robbed us of appreciating the absurdity of what we are reading. Because the God who created the universe came into the world and those who follow him he calls his friend. You know, one of the um, you know, funny, funny idiosyncrasies of this election cycle is the way that, that every single late-night talk show host has noticed uh, and has begun making jokes about Joe Biden's tendency to name-drop Barack Obama at every opportunity. And more power to him. More power to him. Uh, Joe Biden served alongside President Obama for eight years, and he should use that to his political advantage. 
But it is still kind of funny watching the debate and seeing how every question, seemingly, he responds with a reference to his time serving with President Obama. Joe Biden name drops Obama every chance he gets. And, and as I read this passage and think about what it is to be a friend of God, I am convicted of the reality that I don't do nearly enough name dropping of Jesus. Because Jesus has called you and me his friends. I mean, how do any of us go a single hour, much less an entire day, without name-dropping that we know the creator of the universe? The savior of the nations, the healer of the broken, the conqueror of death, the king of eternity. Uh, I think about that scene from the movie Elf where Buddy's in the department store, and the manager comes in and says, Boys and girls, Santa's coming. And Buddy goes, Santa! I know him! I... Is this the same sort of excitement that we approach opportunities to name drop Jesus in our lives? Let's pick back up at verse 16. Jesus says, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. This is my command, love each other. You know, it changes everything for us when we come to grips with the reality that Jesus chooses us. That our place beside Jesus is a product of his initiative and his effort, not our own. It is not because we are good that God chooses us and calls us friend. In, in reality, we, we should probably just get away from the language of good and bad as descriptors for humans. Um, because, you know, it's, it's not really helpful, and it's certainly not accurate. So for a while now, I've been, um, I've been trying to make a point to read and to listen to people who are very different than me. People who are of a different race, different religion, uh, different sex, different ideology, you name it. Like, you know, if they aren't... Uh, you know, uh, middle class, middle American white dudes, you know, I'm trying to, to listen to them more so, um, just to see what's, what's going on and, and where we are um, similar and not similar. And one of the things that I've discovered um, is that almost no one wakes up intending to be bad. I mean, no one wakes up and says, ah, I am bad, I am going to do bad stuff, I'm going to push old ladies in, into the mud, because I am bad. Like, that's, that's just not the experience of, of humans. 
I mean, the, the vast majority of people are trying their very best to make the best decisions they can uh, for them and for the people who are around them. It's simply not the case that people who don't look like me or don't think like me or don't believe like me are bad. And likewise, it's, it's not the, the, the measure of goodness that they are more like me. Those who are different than me aren't bad. They're just different. They've had a different history, different opportunities, different priorities. Uh, even those who do bad things, it's probably not right to describe them as bad people. And this is especially hard for me uh, today uh, because yesterday one of my heroes fell from grace. Uh, I've talked to you uh, about this guy in the past uh, Jean Vanier, he's a French-Canadian priest, died about a year ago. Um, founded the L'Arche Communities, which are these uh, incredible communities of uh, kindness and love for adults with developmental disabilities. Um, and uh, a report just came out that, you know, he had some serious moral and ethical failure. Um, over the course of like 40 years with, you know, six or seven nuns, he violated the covenant he made with God and the Roman Catholic Church. And depending on how true some of the claims are, he may have done it in really egregious and hurtful ways. And three days ago, it would have been really easy to say, Jean Vanier is just a good person. And today, a lot of people are saying, no, he's a bad person. But the truth is that he's just a person. Who, when he was connected to the vine, when he was being obedient to Christ, he produced good fruit in his life. But whose disobedience had bad consequences for many people. There aren't good people and bad people in this world. They're just people. People who are trying their best to live their best lives according to the circumstances they find themselves in. Now this year we will be uh, bombarded from all sides by politicians telling us that we should choose them. And to get us to choose them, they'll make promises that they can't keep. They'll uh, promote an image of themselves that is only partially based in reality. And their supporters will tell you, my candidate is good and they are bad. Donald Trump good, Bernie Sanders bad. Bernie Sanders good, Michael Bloomberg bad. Michael Bloomberg good, Donald Trump bad. Like you name it, right? Like, like this, is, this is the way our partisanship forces our brains to work, I'm afraid. But this is not a particularly Christian worldview. In Matthew 19, uh, Jesus says, just then, and this is, um, this is at the time when he's talking to the rich young ruler. 
You, you remember the story of, of the rich young ruler. Um, in Matthew 16, we read that a man came to Jesus and asked, Teacher, what, is, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? And Jesus replied, Why do you ask me about what is good? For there's only one is good. If you want to enter life, keep the commandments. In other words, God alone is good. Human goodness is nothing more than obeying God's commands. This gets back to what we talked about last week. The branches, in and of themselves, are neither good or bad. A branch that is connected to the true vine Jesus produces good fruit. And you produce the fruit of the branch you're connected to. The politicians will tell us that we should choose them, but the reality is that God has already chosen us. You may have noticed uh, these sweet yard signs here at the front of the sanctuary. We live in a time where political candidates are saying, choose me because I will save you. I'll save you from creeping fascism or creeping socialism or, you know, paying too much for prescription drugs or whatever. But these signs can stand for us as a reminder that we have already been saved by the one who chooses us. So I encourage you to, uh, during this final hymn, come and grab one and take it home and put it in your front yard. And, and we'll leave them out till you know, March 17th. That's the final day of primary voting here in Ohio. Um, and then, you know, we'll bring them back to the church and we'll, we'll find a place to keep them. And then we'll put them back out in November when things really get fun and interesting. Because we are living in a time where the language is more charged with messianic language than ever before. Where the, the, the passion and the zeal for candidates, for ideologies can be downright militant. And in the midst of that, we have an opportunity to, to, to be, you know, that, that voice crying out from the wilderness. We can't choose a savior in any election cycle. But we have a Savior who's already chosen us. We are the product of being chosen by the Father, bought and paid for by the Son, and that we are being perfected by the Holy Spirit. Our lives have been marked. Our future is secure. 
uh, we don't have to, to manipulate our future security by voting one way or another. Uh, we don't have to uh, manipulate our future security by, by manipulating any of the situations of our lives. We can trust in the God of the universe. Who's called us his friend. Every politician out there is telling us to pick them because they will save us from one social ill or another. But we know the truth. We've been chosen by the Father, we've been bought and paid for by the Son, and we are being perfected by the Holy Spirit. And that is good news. Let's pray. Where we have a never-ending stream of false messiahs who come and promise us safety and security and a vision of a better future. But Lord, we know that the truth is that you have already saved us from slavery to sin and death. You've already made us your children. You've already equipped us with everything we need to live faithful lives in this culture or in any other one. Lord, give us the courage to trust you. Give us the courage to deny the claims of our culture that we have to get all of our elections right. That it's of life and death importance. That it'll be our salvation. Lord, remind us that this is idolatry. That the truth is that our future is secure in you. That the truth is that if we love you, we will keep your commands. Lord, fill us with your truth. And we will give you all the honor and the glory and the praise for you are worthy. Amen.